I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Rock Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Coming up on today's show is our resident geotech, Mr. Gromit, and we'll be talking about Texas Energy, Leaning Buildings, and the California High Speed Rail. So stay tuned for all of this here on the Rock Science Show. Welcome back to the program, and joining us today is our special and recurring guest, uh, Mr. Gromit of Oakland. Uh, Mr. Gromit, thank you so much for joining us here on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for having me, Frank. Always happy to be here. Oh, it's always uh, good to, you know, come back to uh, my roots uh, back here in the Bay Area and uh, looking at um, clean energy. So it turns out uh, one of our favorite subjects of past uh, president or former president, George W. Bush, is making uh, some news in renewable energy, in fact. Oh, wow. I never thought that would happen. (laughs) Yeah. Right (laughs) from an oil man. Uh, You tell me. So, it turned out right before he became president, he signed a law in Texas when he was governor that they should adopt up to 2,000 megawatts of renewable energy. And they actually did that? I can't believe Texas did that. Not only did they achieve that, they achieved it four years early. So, they were supposed to get this done by 2009, but it was actually accomplished by 2005. Wow, okay. And subsequently to that, the the governor... uh, who succeeded him, uh, Rick Perry, uh, signed a law that said they would require uh, up to 10,000 megawatts. So enough capacity for 10 nuclear power plants running at full power. And they're doing it using nuclear power plants? So they're oh, no, not, renewable yeah. energy. So wind okay. and solar. Okay, I see. So they're replacing nuclear energy with well, this? Well, potentially or? it could. But, okay. but see, the problem is that uh, wind and solar are intermittent. That means they're capacity is changing at any given time uh, it fluctuates because of you know shading in the sun and wind of course is not an even resource and because of that a lot of these grids cannot take in any more renewable energy so it's kind of hit a saturation point where they have to stop adding these additional renewable sources because it disrupts the grid so they cannot create situations where they just have a place where they can store the peak, essentially, right? The, right. The large so this pool. is something a lot of experts in this field would argue that storage or being able to uh, shift when you supply and demand your energy is the next big thing. Uh, and as battery systems become cheaper, you know, for example, like say the uh, lithium batteries that you find in your in your laptops and your electric vehicles are now right. being developed for the storage market, uh, their prices have been coming down. And I believe in the last uh, 18 months or so, 18 to 24 months, that their price per kilowatt hour has nearly halved. And it's expected that this you know trend of scaling up 
will continue. So, you know, some people would argue that by 2018, we're going to hit an inflection point where this new market is going to really take off so that people, uh, regular people, could buy these units for their own homes and hook it up to, for example, a solar panel that they may also have. Uh, Tesla, of course, is offering a solution called the Powerwall that's supposed to serve a very similar role. And because they also, as you know, uh, produce electric vehicles, the idea is that Mm -hmm. it could also somehow be linked to your electrical vehicle system. So potentially your EVs would be powered by solar cells or wind power, and then your vehicles could also um, provide power back into the grid when you're not using it. Right, and, and and so 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 you're saying these same utility panels or utility pods can now be used for actual utilities or uh, you know statewide or citywide utilities to then pull in peak power to store it. Right, right, because yeah. it's more expensive, you know, during parts of the day to buy the power. So you know you store it when it's cheaper and then use it when it's more expensive. But it actually you lower the cost overall because you're not, uh, you're providing more supply when it's needed. Right, exactly. I mean, like the solar during the day is probably can be stored or whenever the wind is coming up higher and things right. like that. Right, right. The, the worry though is, well, I mean, that's the argument with nuclear that nuclear is there all the time. Right. So the idea is that, you know, of course, nuclear and a lot of these uh, fossil fuel Fire plants right. are called baseload because they're on all the time. Right. And it's actually cheaper to maintain it that way because ramping it up and ramping it down is actually very cost costly when you operate these plants. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you so it's so if you have utilities that bring renewables in but that can store the power, they can pull their baseload plants to a lower level consistently. Right. And then the effective or the the total cost then will be truly seen. The, the savings will actually be, you can actually see the savings. Right. Yeah. So anyways, uh, this was published uh, in a Wall Street Journal. And uh, who knows, maybe with a Trump presidency, America can go, can go completely renewable. I would never count on that. So Gromit, have you been to the gas station lately? Yes, I have. The Chevron, Tecron gas station where they take 20% more of your money than everybody else. So does your engine run a little better, a little smoother? I don't know. The, the TV cartoons say so. I've never thought so myself. Yeah, it's from the company that cares. It cares about my car with a heart, yes. All oil companies care, I think. They're so sweet. Well, you know, it's all about image. You know, now that um, I've been... In California for the past couple of weeks, I realized that gases are so much cheaper now than they were a few years ago. Yes, it's exceptionally expensive. It's like probably ex- uh, half the price almost, in, especially in the Bay Area, if you look at the prices. Right, like uh, running between 230 and 250 I guess. Yeah, and I remember paying 450 plus for gas in California, so it's phenomenal to pay half the price for gas. Yeah, I think it's good for us, good for the pocket. There's different takes on this, you know. People believe that um, because of the gas and energy prices going down, uh, there's some of a, a paradox here that even though we have more disposable income, 
and you know we can produce things for cheaper uh, it doesn't mean that necessarily we're investing that money into more efficient vehicles or uh, you know being wiser with the way you, we use our energy the, the quickest impact of cheap gas is going to be uh, all the SUVs are going to come out of the garage you know? <laughs> that especially in California <laughs> the SUVs coming out of their woodworks <laughs> yeah and, and it has and it did happen when gas was 450 people actually parked their SUVs because it was you know it was a phenomenal expense and now at least in the summer times when SUVs are a luxury where their value is better because you know you can take them out on vacations it's much more comfortable uh, they are certainly coming out and there is value to it I mean you know you are you know people are more comfortable but the value kind of goes down if you start taking the SUV out to get groceries where you could just as well take your compact car and it's it's, you can, you know, you can't control people's behavior. That's the point of being in a democracy. You don't want to control people's daily behavior. In the big picture, high prices control people's behavior. Yeah, uh, indeed it does. And, uh, you know, one of the debates ongoing in the energy community is how, how do we transition to, to cleaner sources of energy and also become more competitive by lowering the price, so I think it's a debate that will go on for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah it's, it's prices. I mean, prices will always, you know, you know, that's human behavior. That's not going to change. But I mean, the, but it's not, I think it's not, it's not upon any corporation to decide that. I think it's, it's let people do what they will and cleaner sources should come by irrespective. I mean, this is my opinion, but cleaner sources should come by irrespective of what uh, fossil fuels do and the right way to do it is to make your cleaner sources competitive to your fossil fuels. Okay, some wise words to remember. So, Grant, I heard you have the dirt on San Francisco. <laughs> I have the dirt and the dirt bags. Of and the San mud. <laughs> and the mucky mud of San Francisco. As we well know, this town is called the Barbary Coast for a reason. All kinds of crazy things have happened, but lately the biggest story is the Millennium Towers. Uh, is it the tallest or the, the heaviest tower in the West Coast? Right? Uh, the heaviest residential tower in the West Coast. Uh-huh. Uh, there are some commercial towers that are taller but uh, or heavier, but at the same time, the, the issues have been settlement and it's in the news quite a bit because these are exceptionally expensive properties and people have paid really good money and they're very famous for being very well appointed. So what exactly is the problem that these buildings are facing? So well, the, the real or the biggest obvious problem is that it's settling. It's settling on one side. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a differential settling. One side is settling more than the other, but pretty confirmed at this point that one side is settled. So that means it's like, a lean, leaning, it's like a leaning tower it, piece. It, now it is leaning because one side is settling and the other side is not. Of course, the idea was that neither side settled, <laughs> so, but it didn't happen. Uh, you know, I don't know much about building skyscrapers, but 
aren't these buildings supposedly secured to bedrock or a type of foundation that would presumably not shift? Yes, the idea is to build a foundation that won't shift. Uh, this, the Although I haven't looked into this in detail, from what I understand, they are on pile foundations. It's a tall building, so it's very typical to build them on deep on pile foundations because the bedrock in this particular case is pretty deep the piles have not been taken to bedrock whether they that was smart or not is now certainly you know a big question but there are piles out there that will not reach bedrock and technically can support the load based on simply the skin friction of the piles I see. Uh, and the, you know, the, the ground that it's on, is it the type of liquefaction that we're seeing here? Or what exactly is This happening? is not liquefaction. This is bay mud. Bay mud is a type of clay, uh, which uh, ideally is not liquefiable, although it is a soft clay. So under earthquake motion, it can lose strength, but the mechanism is different. Uh, it is not liquefaction where soil, the sandy soil becomes a fluid or quicksand. Uh-huh. That is not what's going to happen here. But it can lose strength in an earthquake event. But this is not an earthquake event. This is simply under static loading. Uh, it is losing strength. Uh, or it is not losing strength. Uh, it is basically not able to provide the capacity that people expected it to provide. And therefore, the whole mass is settling on one side. And clearly, one part has more capacity than the other. And so one side is settling more and now you have a differential settlement of 16 inches. As we have seen, some people are estimating that this might go as much as three feet, which is 36 inches, uh, which is uh, a large amount of distress. And that can certainly cause some level of structural damage. So the second floor might become the first floor? Hopefully not. Hopefully it won't be that bad. It can be, you'll certainly see architectural damage. You'll see in some, you know, some walls crack, some, uh, it will not, it won't be as dramatic as things collapsing or anything, but uh, it will be a slow movement where things might crack and they'll have to be rebuilt. Uh, so what would be it like to live inside? Are we going to see a slight incline in the living spaces and will, you know, uh, can that be remedied somehow? Uh, there is a lot of different ways to remedy these things. If it holds, sometimes when things do start inclining, and this is really a, uh, an issue where you really have to know how the subsurface is, which I don't know, but sometimes it'll gather strength and the settling will stop. And when that happens, uh, you can then uh, go back to it. The thing is the structure is so tall that we don't really know uh, the remedies that I know of, I'm not so sure how many of them will work, but typically compaction, grouting, jacking of structures is often done mm-hmm. to stop the movement, to at least arrest the movement, uh, things like that. Right now, though, a lot of lawyers and contractor claims are involved, and I don't know how quickly they're going to get to that. I don't think the structure is threatened right away, although it will tilt and it will not look as pretty as it would have. Okay, but your piano is probably not going to roll out of the windows. Uh, we don't want it to. At 36 inches, certain floors might not be that pretty. Although you will be surprised how these jacking things, how good these jacking things are, where they can bring some of these things 
back to if not normal, back to being pliable and looking normal. I'm very surprised that a Baymark problem, which is a very well-known problem in the Bay Area, was not looked at uh, and that the piles did not go to bedrock, uh, but uh, maybe they considered that the Baymark itself was capable of providing the capacity and they clearly misjudged it. So, Gromit, is there anything going on with the uh, California bullet train? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're building the terminal. Okay. And the bullet train is going on in the fresh snow Bakersfield patch is being worked on. And I think the fresh snow to Madeira patch is also being worked on. Okay. But we don't know anything about the actual patches that matter, which is Bakersfield to LA. And in San Francisco, it's supposed to enter, like, in a basement? Or yeah. Underground? Yeah, it's supposed to enter at the Transbay Terminal, at Mission and First is where it's supposed to end. And the Caltrain is supposed to come from 4th and King also right. to Mission and First. And they're all supposed to end right there, and there's going to be a tunnel that connects it to BART. Oh, okay. So all of that whole system gets all interconnected. Right, and they've started to build this even though they haven't finalized the actual path that the train will enter yes, the city. Yes, they, they, well, they have two different paths. The problem is a lot of right and right of ways uh, through Palo Alto, San Jose are facing huge political opposition with a lot of moneyed interests, as you can quite imagine, backing the opposition. Okay, but in in terms of technicalities, what um, you know, what do these what does it entail to build these tunnels without causing uh, you know the surrounding buildings to collapse or to be affected by that? Uh, there's not, uh, I mean, they they have, I mean, what they're trying to do, if they bring it up through the peninsula, basically, mm-hmm. which was the first plan, is to use the right-of-ways available to Caltrain, because they're already there, because, as you know, the cost is huge in the peninsula of right. acquiring an additional land. Right. So they would take that same land, they would probably build sound walls uh, around it, and probably a lot of it would be taken up the ground because, as you already know, Caltrain has a lot of issues with people either committing suicide or getting, you know, run over. So they they want to get away from that. And they can do that pretty well. I mean, they, they can build um, low-weight uh, retaining walls and sound walls to do that. You're not going to take away the fact, though, that there is going to be a high-speed train that's going to run across or very close, in close vicinity to your property, you know, four times a day or five times a day. And people, many people are opposed to that. The question is, how do you convince them? And more importantly, uh, can you show them a prototype where the sound walls are actually effective? Because... uh, uh, a Caltrain running across is one thing. A high-speed train, the tracks are different, and they can make certain things nicer, but you're still going to have the speed, and you're going to still have the sound that may not, that can be damped, but not, it's not going to go away. You're going to get have to get a buy-in from these people. And we were just talking to Mr. Gromit, our resident geotech here at the Rock Science Show. And that's all for this week's edition. 
Make sure you tune in again next week for more fundamental science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.grox.net, on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music.